Hello, this is Kim Barkis with the HR Open Standards Consortium. For our end of year podcast, we're gonna do something special. We're gonna speak with a few of our board members about their experiences over the last year and their recommendations for how things might change in the future. To start us off, we're gonna speak with Jim Elder, who has been our, uh, with our board for two years. He also leads assessment work group that's been working on the XAPI. Welcome, Jim. 2020 has been, a, a, of course, very challenging and difficult year, but there are some really interesting takeaways, I think. Um, remote working is completely viable. Many people will continue to work from home even after the end of 2020, going into 2021. I think that it's interesting how uh, I read something about the loss of professionalism, how people have learned to uh, be comfortable with who they are, even when they're working from home, even when they're uh, doing sales or board meetings or working with data standards or even uh, interviewing for jobs. It's really interesting how that's really changed, I think, professionalism and changed our industry. I also think that a lot has changed in regards to selection over the past, really the second half of 2020. And it's really going to be interesting going forward how how many new jobs are, are going to be posted and how the whole selection process is going to be changed and reshaped and how very important it's going to be going forward. You talked about the lack of professionalism as a side effect of working from home. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? You know, the, the guise of professionalism, the, I, I read an article about that a little bit earlier this year. Um, I, don't, I don't have the article in front of me at the moment, but the game face that we would put on as we drove to the office, as we uh, prepared, uh, you know, left our home, left our kids, our families, our, uh, our, our neighborhood and, and drove to the office, we, uh, you know, we would put our game face on. We would get prepared for work. We would listen to our call it walk-up music, your, your podcast or your favorite songs on the way to the office and those things that would prepare you for your day at work, uh, your day in your cubicle, your day in different meetings. But now we're, we're doing that from home and the kids are running around the house and the dog's barking, the deliveries are showing up at the door and all these things that just weren't part of the, our day-to-day interactions are there now. And how interesting it is that it's okay that these things happen and that we don't mind, you know, if the dog's barking or if the doorbell's, somebody's ringing the doorbell, it's okay. We can continue to work. And really we, we've, we've become who we are. We've removed that guise of professionalism that we had when we would put that suit on and go to the office. And we're just comfortable doing things that we like, things that we have passion for, things that we're interested in wherever we are. And it's, uh, it's just very interesting. And I think it's uh, helped us, a lot of us become just comfortable, you know, seeking our goals. It can be good for those that have the opportunity to work from home, but it also comes with other challenges. Do you think it's harder to turn off work and say you're done for the day because your office is your home? Yes. Uh, a great point, Kim. Uh, so it's, it, it is impo- it's more important than ever to manage stress and to be able to walk away uh, you know, since work is there from when you make that first cup of coffee in the morning to when you're, you know, you're ready to roll up and, and read a book or, or go through your uh, social media posts at the end of the day. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to walk away from it. And I found that I work uh, long days, longer days than I did before, but that I'm more committed to walking away at the end of the day on Friday and, and trying to stay out of my email until Sunday evening or uh, staying away from LinkedIn or other things that um, would past have done over weekends. I'm now trying very hard to just step away and spend time with my family for that That's little good. bit of a break over the weekend. 
as someone who's worked from home for many years, I understand that discipline it takes to walk away, unplug and say, okay, I'm done. It's family time now. Changing topics for a bit, do you think that building strategic partnerships and alliances in the industry is more or less important than it was this time a year ago? I think it's more important. I think we continue to see innovations in technology and, and now there's new platforms with the ex employee experience platform and training and learning is more important than it, it, it maybe ever has been. And with so many people out of work, uh, there, there's going to be a, a lot of effort upskilling people over the next few years. So having those partnerships, being able to access different pieces of content, being able to work on your, your social presence, your, your brand, all of that uh, aligns with having strategic partnerships. And, and, and now more than ever, data standards are really gonna be important as we have all these new technologies emerging. We will need to build integrations into new platforms. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really interesting and, and fun to think, you know, having such passion for data standards, it's really fun to think about what we, what we can build next, what the new standards will look like and uh, you know, innovations going forward. Yeah, I love that you are so passionate about the work you've been doing with the assessments group, and it definitely shows in just the the enthusiasm with the XAPI and uh, one of the other podcasts you did. So we really appreciate everything you've done with that. It's been great. It's a lot of fun. I really do enjoy it. I enjoy the assessments work group, the uh, joy of working with over the past five years. And 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 here we are, uh, Kim, it's really exciting. We're, we're now getting into learning technologies. We're getting into XAPI. We've uh, built a, a, a standard for staged assessments and for content. And it's really a great time for the learning industry too, to be able to have, you know, other standards that reach parts of the industry that maybe haven't been standardized before. One thing you mentioned earlier was the selection and interview process for obtaining a job and how that's going to change. Can you explain that a bit more? I, I see it changing. I see it being more important than ever because there's going to be so many remote interviews, less in-person interviews, perhaps more assessments, more challenges or technical effectiveness exams or assessments. And it's going to be more important than ever that employers are, are really, uh, really zero in and refine their hiring process and that they uh, make sure that every every question, every aspect of the prospect process is is very well done, is fair, and includes the ability to do remote interviewing and, and take the best parts of uh, you know assessments and and remote interviewing and really uh, refine those to be uh, as sharp as possible. You've talked in a previous podcast about the various types of assessments that that there are, uh, but how will that evolve with more people working from home? Do you think that they're going to still be used? Yeah, I think more assessments will be used. And I do see assessments changing as well. We, we already had a trend leaning towards video-based assessments and simulations. I think we'll see more and more of that in 2021 and going into 2022. <laughs> That's going to be great for all those gamers out there. Yeah, it, it's exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of new talent in the market and a lot of you know openings and and because of remote work, you know, localization is going to change. We don't necessarily need to think about uh, relocating to start a new job. You can you can work for a company that's a thousand miles away as long as you can manage the time difference. The work day it, it might be a little different. It might start a little earlier or start or start a little later. But as long as uh, people can adjust to that, the talent pool is going to be a little bit. It's going to open up a little bit. That's a good point. It will be interesting to see how workplaces are gonna evolve in the next couple of years with all the recent changes. The other side of acquiring talent is evaluating their skills. Seems like the workforce is moving towards skills-based assessments like with the XAPI, rather than our previous, here's my resume with my education experience. 
Couldn't agree more. The college degree is important, but it's uh, really it's the it's the current skills that you have and your your passion. You know, to be a lifelong learner, to continue to upskill and and we talked about competencies and credentials. Those are all that they all tie together with skills, and they're all going to be more important. And that's why training and learning is going to be so important in the next few years as well. Jim, it has been great speaking with you. Do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to share with our community as we move out of 2020? I, I think it's a wonderful time to become involved in data standards. There's a lot of innovation coming. There's a lot of excitement around what we can do with emerging technologies. Um, there's uh, mach- the machine learning is certainly here to stay. Artificial intelligence is here to stay. Data scientists is, is a role that you see a good bit nowadays. Um, so the, uh, all of that is here and data standards are really going to help to improve and, and make those uh, new roles, those new positions, those new uh, technologies easier to adopt and, and more effective. Thanks, Jim. We're really excited about our upcoming projects for the next year and the benefits we can offer to our community. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, everybody. If you'd like to know more about Jim and his work in assessments, I'd encourage you to check out our podcast, Innovations in Assessments from June. Next, we're going to talk to one of our recently elected board members, Leslie Irwin. Leslie is the Senior Director of Application Development, ADP, and helps lead our benefits work group. It's interesting to hear her perspective working from a big company and how working from home has affected their way of everyday business. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the HR Open Board and to our podcast. Can you start off by sharing some of your takeaways from the last year? (laughs) With 2020, I think uh, for sure, um, we've had plenty of huge takeaways, mainly never take for granted uh, getting to see people in person. I know it's the biggest thing that I miss um, after the the craziness of this year. But I think really what, what 2020 has taught us is that we need to be more willing and ready to adapt than ever before. So I think we always talk about how quickly things change. Um, and our and our need to be agile and move along with those changes. But I think this year has just really shown that we have to be ready to adapt, not just in business, but how we interact with our friends, our family, our coworkers, how we go grocery shopping, and, and of course, how we do conduct business. And so um, for me, it's really like 2020 has just been about continuing to find ways to make things work. So how do we use technology to our benefit um, in a time when we can't see each other face-to-face? We've become so reliant on big meetings, uh, group huddles with teams, um, and how do we now move forward with technology to to continue to have that same growth environment um, and that same group think, but without being able to see anybody in person? And I actually just recently had a, uh, another video conferencing happy hour. And uh, it's, it's the hardest thing to get used to. Only one person can talk at a time. I'm one of those people. I want to be engaged in five conversations at once. <laughs> and this forced talk and then listen. And it, that is one thing that it's done, right, is make us listen. That's true. I hadn't really thought of it that way. You have to actively listen to be able to respond to what the other person's saying without the nonverbal clues that you typically get when you're face-to-face. You also have to follow the flow of that conversation when you're with bigger groups and figure out when it's your turn to talk. Along those lines, do you have to use video when you're on your calls? So when I warn about it and, and encourage it, I never, I never require it. But, but two, I also like to give people a break, right? It's like, 
some like sometimes being on camera all the time is exhausting. And so if we have a big, you know, jam packed day full of meetings, you know, sometimes you just want to be able to have your camera off so you can, you can lean back in your chair and, and maybe stare off into space instead of look at the camera directly. So I, I do think there's a balance there. Balance is always a good thing. I know with our board meetings, we try to have the video on and it seems to help connect with the others and, and know when to speak, especially when we're a board that usually gets to meet just a couple of times a year. But on the other side, we have meetings where it's important to listen and not as important to see the person you're talking to. It's nice to have a balance, especially, especially by your eighth call of the day. Oh, I said, yeah, I'm only here to listen in. So you don't really care that I'm also eating an apple. <laughs> right, right. So what are some of the strategies that you are planning to implement in 2021 and, and moving forward? Yeah, so, so ADP has had a focus and is in continuing to have a focus on digital transformation. And I think now more than ever, um, continuing to find ways to reduce manual effort that's required and also keep a great client experience uh, for, for us at ADP is, is essential. You know, we're a part of that that I'm specifically focused on is utilizing standardized APIs uh, in order to help integrate with our external partners. And so obviously um, this is where my work with HR Open really comes in. The benefits schema that, we, that we've created with HR Open and are continuing to build on is really helping me and my group to be able to drive forward this transformation, and it really is a transformation of how we communicate with benefit carriers. So, you know, for years and years, this has been batched weekly files and, and we're looking of moving towards these real-time API integrations. And so that's our big strategy kind of aligns with what HR Open is doing, which is fantastic. Um, kind of gives me twice the, the enjoyment out of the work that I do where then I get to utilize it back at ADP. Um, but yeah, I think our, our big strategy has been and continues to be that digital transformation. How do you see that helping the industry? Obviously, APIs are going to help with making the integration simpler. What else is going to impact that? Yeah, it's so it's client experience. So I've actually been involved um, some way or another for about 15 years with um, integrations between HCM or Ben Admin systems and external benefit carriers. You know, one, it's it's immediate, right? This is a this is a standardized communication that we have with this given partner. For you as a client, there's no work that you need to do. There's no specific configuration for you. Um, everything can just flow back and forth. I mean, that's in, in its own right, a huge win. And then to say going forward, you have a new hire and they've enrolled for, for their medical plan. And that enrollment is immediately sent. You don't have to wait two weeks uh, for them to then process that and get their card sent out so that they can actually utilize those benefits. So it's just... It's a huge win, I think, for the industry, for Ben Admins, for the carrier, for the, for the actual client, for the real employees who are getting, getting to see the end result of this. Yes, and that's especially crucial right now, given to get the new employees on benefits as soon as possible. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you even think about the voluntary benefits. So looking at, you know, a critical illness plan and, and right now when there are medical emergencies and there are critical instances where families need that money and need it quickly, 
the sooner that you can get that enrollment over, the sooner that you can get that processed when, when you need that money. Right. Leslie, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. We appreciate the work you're doing on the benefits group and we look forward to your continued role on the board. Jan Willem Vanderboom is our next speaker. He is the Director of Strategy at Manus Software in the Netherlands and has served on our board for four years. Manus works primarily in time card for retail industries and you'll learn more about that as we continue our discussion. Welcome Jan Willem, can you tell me a little bit about the strategies you plan to implement as we move into 2021? Uh, well, Kim, thanks for the invitation uh, to talk on this podcast. Uh, one of the things we got from this year, and actually a development that's been going on for the past few years, is uh, that companies start to target more towards the happiness of employees than in our case, uh, where we basically mainly focus on legislation. It seems to become more important that the employee is happy then that the legislation is com- is applied correctly. So that is a for us a, an eye-opener, which we've neglected for a few years and now are doing a kind of catch-up. So towards next year, we are actually more focusing on uh, how is the interface for the users? What do they get from it? Uh, what can an employee do from home with our tools? Rather than focusing on how can the company save money with our software and how can they improve their processes with our software. So that is actually, um, after being 30 years in this business, is quite a change. That's a big shift in perspective. How do you balance the legislation requirements while making the environment more user-friendly? Yeah, we actually are quite struggling with those points. Then let me give you an example. One of the things that's going on that you're not planning someone to work you are asking someone whether he's willing to work or to schedule himself. And even if someone is scheduled, at any moment they can say, oh, I don't feel like doing that work. And they find someone else to do it, which in itself is fine. On the other hand, it doesn't give you any guarantees that the work actually gets done. And what is worse, you can get to the situation that people do not fulfill fulfill their contract hours anymore And other people start making overtime, which you have to pay for. Quite a struggle to, hey, how do we find a compromise between what we try to achieve is assist the company in saving money and this new realm where, hey, oh, well, we're very happy if you want to come to work. And if you can't, well, that's also fine. Do you see that attitude changing with the current economy where many people in the retail industry have been let go? What we see is that people actually don't care. They don't see a job as something that is long lasting or that is a necessity, uh, especially the younger people, they tend to, to, let's say, hop from job to job like, like bees do that with flies, uh, with, with flowers, sorry. It's, it's really like they try, the, the companies now try to, create an environment in which the employee feels happy and comfortable and he can do whatever he wants and whatever he likes. And then still they jump to another job for, for 10 euro cents an hour more. That's a real challenge. I understand that's been a trend for the past 10 plus years. Before that, you moved to jobs to get more experience, but it sounds like now a person moves more frequently because they didn't get the promotion or the raise that they'd expected. 
Yeah, and it, it is obviously it is it is especially you know we're working mainly in 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 retail, and they tend to have the younger employees. Right. And what I what I see in those companies also when I'm talking to their HR directors, the employees actually don't care whether they work or not because if they don't have the money, their parents will pay for it anyhow. So it is more like okay. It's nice that we are here with a few friends and I earn some money, but if they don't do it, they can still afford to buy the stuff they want. So it's it's like uh, even the fact that, that there are a lot of people unemployed, this target group, which is a large target group within the retail, is right. hard to grasp, to, to get hold on that they they work with you, that you train them and that they stick with you or stay with you. So what are... The- some of the legislation um, impacts that restricts you there? Well, for example, one of the things is um, you have minimum hours, you have maximum hours, especially in Europe. There are uh, quite some regulations to if people work too much, you have to pay them additionally. If they work too little, you have to pay them additionally. Uh, nowadays, for as an example, in the Netherlands, if someone has a contract for 12 hours a week and for a number of consecutive weeks, he actually worked 20 hours a week. He suddenly has a contract for 20 hours a week. Oh, my. Okay. So there are literally risks for employers that they end up with too many contract hours, which they can never fulfill and they have to pay for. Do you see anything in the legislation changing, given the fact that things are changing in the economy? Or do you see that continuing to be more beneficial to the employee? beneficial more more beneficial for the employees yeah and you don't see that changing it seems like that's kind of the direction it's no, going a few of these regulations are literally from the last the past two years so definitely moving forward it's interesting because i can see that when there was an abundance of jobs and none of people but that's not really where we are right now do you think things will change next year or continue in the same direction yeah you you would expect but let's say the the effect of the market somehow seems to be ignored by by the unions that basically make a very strong fist towards the governments to adjust regulations. I know there's limits to what you can do, but what are some of the solutions you're working on to help your customers? Well, what we do is, is, for example, if an employee decides, hey, I don't want to work tomorrow and I have to ask one of my colleagues to join in in my and and take over my shift. If they are given that responsibility, then to only suggest people that fall in the same category, let's say in 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 height of salary, but also do not suggest someone that already made too much hours that week. Right. And you have software that can do that that can track to say this person is within. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the mechanisms we now try to assist the customers with. And then it is very strange that we actually have customers that say, oh, well, I don't care. Let them arrange it. And whoever, as long as the work gets done, I'm happy. But that, that means that you can end up having a job of uh, 10 euros an hour worth of quality being handled by someone of 30 euros an hour. Are there other options available? For example, having a staffing agency that can fill the positions last minute. Would that be a viable option? Yeah, that is something they look at, and there are companies that do that, in fact. Although the staffing companies in that 
price range have the same problem. People enroll with 10 different staffing agents and just do nitpicking whatever they like. Well, I mean, it's a good place for the employees right now, I guess. (laughs) But it does make it really hard for the employers. Absolutely. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to add? Well, on, the, on this topic, not much. I think we've we've scratched the surface, and for us, it is still an ongoing investigation and trial and error to come up with uh, a solution that basically suits both the employer and the employee, because we still think it's our obligation to make life easier on the employer. And Willem, thank you for talking with us today. A lot of companies are trying to find that balance between the rules and legislation and making their employees happy. So we really appreciate your, your insight on that. Now we'll be speaking with Ingolf Tietz. He is a long-standing board member and CEO of Milk and Zucker in Germany. He'll be discussing what he misses most about working in an office, AI's role in recruiting technology, and skills-based credentials in Europe. Welcome, Ingolf. We'll start with the big question of the year. What is your biggest takeaway from 2020? I think the biggest takeaway from the year is that I miss my colleagues. Everybody's in the, in is mobile working and office at home. And I'm still going to the office building and sitting here um, most of the days on my own, uh, missing the 100, 150 people we are. One of the takeaways is that I think very often creative work is it's much better done if you if you see each other. And, and have a have a real world discussion. I know our our consortium is working remote all the time, so it, it's it's a proof that it's working. Um, but even there, we are meeting twice a year, or we met twice a year. Uh, we couldn't this year. In person meetings from time to time, I, I think are, are important, and I learned they are very important this year. I would agree. We're a consortium that works remotely, but it's really great to see everyone once or twice a year. There's an energy to an in-person meeting that you don't get on the phone or video. I also enjoy that I can meet new people at our annual and community meetings, people from other business industries and organizations that I normally wouldn't interact with. Plus, I have the opportunity to build new relationships. And I think that's that's one of the most, for me, one of the most important things of our organizations to, to learn about um, other industries um, to learn our, uh, about other domains in HR. Um, so I'm out of the, the recruiting and recruiting marketing part. And, uh, but, but to learn something about payroll, assessments, background checks, uh, sometimes things that are not really existing in, in, in Europe or Germany, like background checks. I learned a lot over the last years about, about that topic. Uh, it's quite interesting. And you can, can adopt many things to, to your own uh, company and, and see how you can build relationships, um, uh, business models, and, and so on. And that's something you learn while sitting around the dinner table with people and not uh, being on the phone and very focused on, on a certain standard or on the board meeting or something. Exactly. We structure our annual meeting to allow breakout sessions and networking time to let people learn more about HR open standards, maybe even areas that they were new to them. Right. So I really miss them. I know. It's been tough and we certainly miss our community, but we're thankful to have coffee chats and podcasts to keep us in touch with our membership. What types of technologies have you seen emerge this year and do you see being used as we move forward? 
I think what we, we will take aside um, video conferencing. Um, I think everybody. <laughs> Everyone's familiar with that this that, year. That's commodity this year. Um, I think what, what really emerged um, to be, a, be more mature um, than in the past is everything around AI in, in HR. So we, we did a lot of them on, on ourselves in my company. We did, did a lot of research. Bots are more common now. Um, they, they understand more the, the natural, natural language, um, the understanding of how do you write job ads with augmented writing and stuff like that. That is really, really gets the momentum in, in 2020. Uh, I think that has emerged dramatically compared to last year. I'm not as familiar with AI and job ads. Can you explain further how that works without giving any secrets away? For companies, especially if they are now working remote, um, it's it's sometimes hard to handle all the the questions of potential candidates, and and bots can now really help um, answering those questions. Where am I in the process of hiring? Is there anything missing? Can I upload the certificate as well? Or, or and all these questions that they are, can um, be answered by by bots and not by real humans because it's totally remote is sometimes it's hard to run a shared service center or call center. It's not that easy than it was in 2019. Do you think it affects a candidate's experience when they don't physically meet with a hiring manager or visit the company? You don't, you don't have the opportunity to get the feel of the culture or the environment. I guess it would be, is it less friendly because you're chatting with a bot or do you think candidates prefer this method? I think it's it's a kind of a mixture. Um, the advantage is it's twenty four seven. So if you apply on a weekend and you have a and have a question, you get an answer if if it's a good bot. Of course, it's it's always not that personal as a real person. But I think I wouldn't say they prefer that, but they accept that. Even from the standpoint of of user experience, it can help in in situations where it's clear there's no one to speak to. Um, and then a bot is much better than having nothing or just a frequently asked questions list. Okay. Because I know that one of the things a candidate is looking for, is this job a good fit for them? Is the company a good fit? So that's what I was wondering if they're not going to get that feel by talking to a bot. Yeah, there is something you can you can deliver on your on your candidate or your, your career website. I think that's that's the point where you have to put all the content to see or give give the candidate uh, the possibility to see if there's a cultural fit for for him or her. Right. So right. Um, yeah, we we so we we changed for for one one thing uh, we did in our company with customers that we broke down the the recruiting not for the whole company, but for concrete teams, especially. So you can see, okay, that's the team I will work with. It's those people, it's, they have these kinds of hobbies and, and stuff like that. So we re- really can see if you, if, you can, if you fit in that company and that special team okay. you apply for. And that's, um, that's something you can, you can offer in your, on your career website already. There's no bot needed for that. That's good. I've been hearing more and more about the way things are going to change for hiring candidates. Rather than submitting a resume, there's discussion about going to more of a skills-based approach and using digital wallets that will hold your competencies. How do you see that emerging in your market? We'll be more skill-based. We see that not those kinds of wallets we don't see here in, in Europe at the moment. It's more that you you try to do something for the candidate that it's quite easy to enter those skills they have during the, the online recruiting process. Um, so in, in, in best cases, it's only you put in your contact data 
and your skills, but no, no resume anymore, no uploading from documents or whatever. So it's only a process of, of asking for certain skills plus the, the contact data. And from there, you go to the next steps. And, and later on in the process, maybe you will be asked for a resume or a CV um, or something. But um, the first step is really to see if they're fit regarding the competencies or skills. HR Open Search Document Spec is ideal for matching a person's competencies to a job requirement. So recommend any of the listeners to check that out. A future discussion we've been a part of is monetizing those individual skills. So instead of saying this position pays 50 euros, 50,000 euros, it's going to be this skill's worth 1,000 euros and another skill's worth 500 euros, which adds up to your final pay. How do you see that working? Yeah, I don't see that that much in, in, in Europe, especially in, not in Germany, because we, we have very strong unions here. And uh, there's quite clear if you, you work as an automatic mechanic, uh, you get that and that money based on, on your, your education and, uh, of course, your skills. But then it's, it's the same for quite the same for, for everybody. Um, but I, I don't see that, that you put in, okay, and, and another 2K and another 2K for, right. for another competency. I, it's all very interesting to me because you have a skill set you need for a job, not just separate skills. I'll be curious to see how this works in the future. Yeah, I, I don't know if maybe it's it's an idea of employers to say, okay, you're there's one one skill missing. We, we go down and, and right. maybe that's how it's. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm a I'm an employer and run my own company, but I I don't see this as a really good idea to pay people. I don't know. So separate skills. It's to me, it's yeah. a skill set that you have. Yeah. It's, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. So thank you, Ingal, for talking with us about AI, recruiting bots, and the future of digital credentials. I look forward to seeing you again in person, and hopefully that's going to be next year. Our last interview in this episode will be with Dave Garrett. He's a functional architect at Alight NGA Human Resources and has been on the board for two years. Dave, what is your biggest takeaway for the year? Some of the biggest takeaways professionally is how adaptable the workforce has been, especially in our company. I mean, we're, we're an organization who a lot of us already work from home. We work from home for, I've worked from home for six years, six, seven years now. But the adaptability for people who are office-based, the fact that they've just taken, taken it on board and the way everything has changed, the culture, meetings, how we all work together has changed, but the way everyone's just rolled with it got on with it, got their jobs done and still being productive and in most cases actually more productive, you know, working from home. So I think the, the biggest takeaway for the year would be just the adaptability, flexibility and professionalism of workforces everywhere just carried on doing their job and carried on their business throughout all these sort of quite large structural changes they've had to go through. Adaptability is a good word to describe what we've all been through this year. Once things have calmed down and gone back to the, in quotes, new normal, um, do you see people going back to the office full time? I see there's going to be go back to what, somewhat to what was normal before. I think offices are going to reopen. People will start the office. But I mean, speaking to some colleagues and friends and things who were 100% office based before the pandemic uh, and have now been home working for six months or plus, they are, you know, they're, they're very much looking at a, a balance. Yes, they need to get back to the office. Yes, they need to have in-person time with people, but not nine to five, five days a week. It's going to be, I think a lot of people will say, well, actually, no, we'll carry on working from home several days, three, four days a week, only going to the office one or two days. I think that's going to be a, 
something that we're never going to get back to everyone going back into the office five days a week. And a lot of some organisations will, but I think a lot of organisations will allow their employees to have that flexibility to do a significant amount of work from home because they're seeing that people professionally can do it. So I think we will get back to a new normal. There will be more offices, more office working, but not to the extent we were before. Part of the reason we're able to work from home is because of the technology. How have your technology resources changed in response to this year? No one heard of Zoom much before uh, <laughs> right? before, before January. I know we used it in HRM standards for a couple of years, but it's very much a small-scale tool used by some small organizations. And now suddenly it's you know a market leader in video technology. And I think that's really where there's been a lot of development, a lot of work. There's not just the likes of Zooms come from nowhere and there's suddenly a big, big chunk of the market of video conferencing, et cetera. But you see their their impact on the market. We There's an organization we've been using Microsoft Teams now for a number of years. Uh, and we used Skype for Business as well. And we, we, as I said, we moved off Skype for Business because, you know, they were end of life in it and going to Teams. And, and Teams was good, but suddenly they were caught on the back foot. Suddenly, Zoom came in with all this, and Teams, the amount of development and sophistication and growth in the features in Teams over the last six months has increased significantly over the last four or, five, four or five years. So I think that's really where I see technology going, is all the technology around allowing people to collaborate, work together efficiently is going to be a big change, and where you're going to see some, some companies that really excel at it. You know, Microsoft, where we've been using Microsoft, tools all their tools we use their office suite online OneDrive, all of that stuff online and you see those tools getting better and better all the time and companies that are trying to use the old mechanism of using their old local share points and their own local networks have all suffered and struggled through suddenly having working from home our organization suddenly having we already have the tools in place to move you know to have everyone working from home um, i know some organizations struggled because they were trying to do everything locally and just couldn't handle the throughput of the number of people working remotely that's the other part of having people work remotely you're able to further the geographic reach of your employees it's more about finding someone with the right skill set versus someone in your local area so i think it gives you a lot more opportunities that's something that we've done we've done for a number of years anyway I mean, we look first of, you know, we have a few centers of excellence where we recruit people, but for other particularly skilled positions, we can cast on that wide. We can say, you know, we want someone who's based in Europe. You know, as long as they're based in Europe and they can speak our business language is English, as long as they have competence of English, it doesn't matter which country they're working in. In fact, you know, I, I work with a team of people that are a few of us are US-based. We have people in Sweden, we have people in Netherlands, we have people in Spain and France and the UK, all collaborating together. Instead, it doesn't matter. We've got one colleague who, before the pandemic, was actually splitting their time between Morocco and Paris. We never knew where they were on any particular call because it didn't matter because they were working. So I think that definitely allows you to go and look for the right labour rather than who happens to be available in the right place. I agree. It's going to make it easier for both the people searching for the jobs and the company hiring. Thanks, Dave, for speaking with us and giving us insight on how Alight works globally from home. To our listeners, thank you for your time. Tweet us at HR Open Standards or send us an email to let us know your takeaways from 2020. We look forward to bringing you more HR technology content next year. 